Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind. This is episode 52 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm here with Morgan Gist McDonald from Paper Raven Books. Morgan, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks, Josh. I am super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited as well. And for those who may not have heard of you, could you tell us just a little bit about who Morgan is and what Paper Raven Books is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am the founder and CEO of Paper Raven Books. We are a, we call ourselves a team publisher. So we are a publishing company, but it's like hiring a team to help you write and publish and market your book. We're not traditional, so we don't take royalties. We're not self-publishing, so you don't have to figure it all out on yourself by yourself. We're not hybrid. Um, we are a team that helps you get it done, whether you are writing or publishing or marketing. So yeah, that's my company. I live in Colorado, got four kiddos, happily married, and yeah, living the life, right? Very cool. Yeah. And when you say team, you definitely mean team because the one, well, one of the many things that stood out on your website was there's a lot of people on your team. Like a lot of times when I see, uh, well, I don't want to say small, but you know, different types of publishing companies or companies on, on the you know front edge of publishing that are doing kind of new and creative things. Like I, I didn't expect there to be such a big team. How, how did that come about? Yeah. Well, and honestly, by the time this episode, episode airs, we will have completely refreshed all of our copy and updated our team. So we okay. probably have about 18 people who are contractors and having contractors has actually been a really important part of our business model. It's how I've been able to kind of grow slowly um, and, and with stability, right? Um, and, and been able to slowly expand what we can offer to our clients. But when I started, I had no idea I was building an agency. <laughs> right. So, so why don't we get into that? Like where and when and, and how did Paper Raven Books come about? How long have you been working on it? And I'd love to kind of go back to even the idea phase. Like what, where were you in your life? At what point were you at? Yeah. So there were a couple of um, major turning points, um, but I started off actually as an academic. So I was getting my PhD in sociology, but I found that I was not interested in my own research projects. <laughs> as, much, as much as I went there to do writing and research and teaching and all of that, um, I spent most of my time helping other people with their theses and dissertations and monographs, which is the academic word for book. Right. And right. um I realized that like, maybe I don't want to be a professor after all. I'm a little bit too entrepreneurial for this, you know, <laughs> academic environment. So I left after the master's and it worked out. My husband was finishing law school. We were having our first child. We were moving to New York. So kind of a lot of changes anyway. And I was like, well, this is great. I'll just, um, I'll, we'll teach as an adjunct and I will freelance on the side. So I was really a freelance editor and writing coach for from about 2007 to about 2000. 13. And we had this family vacation where by that point I had a pretty full roster just on referrals for writing, coaching and editing. And we had three kids. We went on a family vacation and I worked the whole week. I just thought, gosh, you can't pay me enough. <laughs> you know, like you'll never be able to pay me enough to freelance um, to and and get to the point where I have to basically miss family vacations. And it was very stressful for us because we had small kids, right? So you can imagine if if any of you have ever traveled, if you've ever traveled with small children, you know it's not really a vacation. <laughs> right. So to kind of like hoist that on my husband while I was working, we were like, okay, this is this is not good. Um, 
so I had, and right after that, my husband and I had to kind of a a getaway, just the two of us to Vegas and we were walking the casinos and and just like sort of talking about life. And, um, and my husband was like, well, what is, you know, what's the plan? Like if you, if you could sort of start all over and and build something from, from scratch, like what would be, and I just thought, you know, I really want to manage a team of editors. I know what good editing looks like. I know how to talk to potential clients. I know how to sort of shepherd the book process at this point. Um, because I've done work with clients for six going on seven years. And so we became Paper Raven Editing um, and then quickly turned into, actually, let's just call ourselves Paper Raven Books. Um, but yeah, and so I was, hired some editors and I was bringing in the projects and they were doing the editing and we were doing a rev share. Very cool. And you mentioned at the beginning that you were too entrepreneurial to, to be interested in, in going down that educational route or the, uh, let's call it the, the academic route. Were you always that way? Like, was that something growing up? Were you selling lemonade as a kid? You know, like what, what were, uh, how did you know uh, at I, that point? I was not, <laughs> I always feel like I missed out on some portion of life. Cause all these other entrepreneurs are like, Oh, I've been selling lemonade since I was five. And even my own daughter, my oldest daughter is very entrepreneurial that way. She's always looking to sell something, but I wasn't, I loved writing. I loved reading. I loved being a good student and doing well in school. And really that's how I ended up in a PhD program is I had a, a professor in college who was um, my mentor and really believed in me. He, he was just like, you would make an amazing professor. And he kind of like sort of, uh, you know, brought me along through and, and really showed me the ropes. And I thought I could do this. You know, I'm a good student. I'm good at writing and research and teaching and all that. I'd be a great professor. Uh, but once I was actually in the environment, I realized that I just, I generate a lot of ideas and um, academics are very, very slow to adop- adopt any new ideas. And you have to basically mm-hmm. like get funding and do a <laughs> statistically viable quantitative research study that proves your idea over and over and over again before you can really publish about it. And I'm like, gosh, <laughs> I moved just a little bit too fast. So I've always been, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Colby test, uh, but I'm a, I'm a nine quick start on the Colby test. Uh, so I'm, I've I'm very, never heard of that. What, what oh, is that? It's good. So it is, it's one of those typology kind of tests. Um, but it, it, instead of telling you your personality, it tells you kind of your work style. Uh, hmm. so there, there are four categories. One is, uh, called quick start, how quickly you start a project. One is follow through how, uh, how regularly and methodically you follow through to the end of a project. Uh, one is research and fact finding how, how much research and, and, um, you know, thinking you are willing to do on a project. And then uh, the last, I think is mechanical, like working with your hands and mm-hmm. um, super high. On, I'm super high on quick start and like low on everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Uh, great. So you, you're, you have this walk with your husband and you have this idea in your head for what you think might be the next step. What did the next couple steps look like? Like what did the next three to six months look like when you decided to pull the trigger on this? Yeah. So, um, my husband is an attorney. So the first thing I did was get a doing business as Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did decide to go the the solopreneur route, like rather than the, I didn't, I didn't start with an LLC. Um, didn't seem like it was entirely necessary. So just did a doing business as we were in New York at the time. So, and 
the, the nearest county, uh, set up my business accounts. And actually the first uh, sort of practical step that I did was go to Upwork. And I just created this long job description describing how we were, um, you know, this this book company and we're looking for, you know, talented editors to work with our authors on these types of books. And I really was uh, kind of just making it up. I mean, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was drawing on my own previous clients, but I mean, I also knew that I was creating something new and that I needed to enroll these editors into a vision for something that would be exciting to join. And so I created this whole job description about like our, our you know, small but growing quickly company, and <laughs> who we work with, what kind of editors we really wanted, someone who's looking for a growth position, all of that. And I was looking for, I think, three editors to, to work with because within the world of editing books, there's developmental editing, there's copy editing, and there's proofreading. So I wanted to have uh, people who could help me manage kind of that workflow. And mm -hmm. I got on the phone with, I don't know, 12 to 15 different editors. And I was really listening for um, someone who was interested in growing with a small company, not desperate for like a salary, because I was not going to be able to provide a salary. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, qualified and a good person to work with. And I told him up front, I was like, look, I cannot promise any number of projects or any, you know, amount of money each month. But what I what I can promise is that every single project that comes in, I am going to have you, you know, staffed on that, on that project. And so in, you know, as you grow with the company, you will get more and more projects will always be kind of you know, get first dibs essentially. So really kind of giving them that feeling of uh, being part of a founder's circle essentially, but on the employee mm -hmm. side, <laughs> or no, I can't even say employee on the, on the team member side. Right. And, and how was that experience through Upwork? I, I've used it a few times. I've had actually pretty good success. I think if you do put in the time, especially in the description and, and making sure to sift through to find the right people, that it can be pretty useful. How, how was that first experience and the quality of those uh, 12 or so people that you interviewed? Uh Overall, very good. Uh, three of the people who I found through that process um, are still with me, actually. They still oh, wow. with us at Paper Raven Books. Yeah. Um, a, couple, a good sign. Yeah. So as we brought on more projects, I did reach back out to some more. So I think it, I had maybe five from Upwork in the beginning and maybe like two didn't work out. And, you know, it was just for different reasons. Um, you know, our editing styles are different or what they preferred to work on isn't exactly what we were bringing in or uh, communication styles weren't great. When you're communicating mostly through text, you know, Basecamp, email, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> communication style matters. So, you know, there were a couple of people that just had a little bit rougher, like colder <laughs> communication styles. Like right. we are very client facing, like our, you know, all of our team members need to be able to communicate very well with, with clients. And I didn't know that through a phone interview, right? When you talk on the phone, they're fine. Um, but when you get them into a, a base camp project, you know, some people like they just weren't able to manage that kind of client facing uh, polite, friendly <laughs> tone and text. And so it's an experiment. Uh, but I would say overall, I've had uh, very good success through Upwork. Right. And so you get your kind of small roster in place to get things off the ground. And then how did you go about getting your first few clients? And, and I tend to ask this to almost every guest because of how important sales are, right, to, to any company. So really curious to how you got those first few clients through the door. And if you have any suggestions for solopreneurs that might be getting started on their own as well or, or struggling to make those first few sales. 
Oh gosh, Josh, I totally agree. We don't talk enough about the direct sales process and I mm-hmm. was completely clueless, um, especially in the beginning. So I wish that I could go back and tell myself like sales, focus on sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and another reason I ask is because I think it's really interesting and probably a good thing that you went out to go get editors to fulfill the work, right? Because what some people might do and what I was actually going to ask was, did you start small, get a few clients and service them yourself before finding editors to do it for you? But it sounds like from the very get-go, you were getting those editors so I would imagine you were spending a lot of your time on marketing or sales, or correct me if I'm wrong. So um, I do think that one of the key decisions that I made, not even knowing it was a key decision, was that I brought on team members to replace myself. Mm-hmm. So from 2007 to roughly 2013, I was a freelance editor and writing coach. You know, And so I had slowly started to pivot myself toward books and books only. So I was no longer taking on the theses, dissertations, articles, blog posts, <laughs> random miscellany of things that required editing and coaching. Right. Um, I had really already started to pivot myself toward books. And rather than my first team member being someone to do social media marketing for me or something, my first team members were editors to replace myself. And looking back, I'm like, damn, that was gutsy, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, it was, it was a great, it, I think that was a pivotal great moment that I didn't know I was making. Um, so what that uh, forced me to do was to go out and bring in projects for the team. So the first thing I did was reach out to my referral network. And, you know, I I sent individual emails to, I don't know how many I had at that point, 40 to 50 people, Uh, maybe more than that. But um, yeah, I must have done more than that because I think it had my clients as well as colleagues or people who I'd had connections with who I hadn't necessarily worked with. So it it may have been more than that. But I sent each person an individual email just explaining like, hey, here's, you know, what I've been doing slash if we work together here, yeah, I've really enjoyed working with you on these projects. And um, here's what I'm pivoting to. You know, we're going to be working specifically with books. I have a really high quality team of editors that I'm working with. If you know anyone, please send them my way, you know? And if I had been smart, I would have offered a referral fee. (laughs) But instead I just relied on goodwill of good relationships, which is fine. So that was um, a portion of our early clients was referrals from my past clients or colleagues or, you know, people I'd networked with. And then the other thing that I did pretty quickly I'm, I'm trying to think back over our timeline because a lot happened in kind of the 2013 to 2015 range. Um, so a lot of that was referral based, I believe. And then early 2015, I was like, you know what? We're helping people to write books. I should really write a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like that's sort of like a meta thing that should happen. So I was like, well, I've helped lots of people write books. I can write a book about how to write a book. <laughs> so I just sat down and um, over the course of eight, 10 weeks, just sort of uh, put my methodologies, how I'd worked with clients into a small book. It's not big. It's like 25,000 words, 130-ish pages. And I launched that in or kind of the first half of 2015. And I noticed, I did notice a pretty immediate uptick in people reaching out to us, right? Because the book is about how to write a book. And when you're in the writing or just finished writing process, you need um, either a writing coach or an editor or both. So um, yeah, people would find me on Amazon. And I had started to do some of that early research on like metadata, categories, keywords, stuff like that. So like my book was ranked, like when you 
typed in, I think to this day, when you type in how to write a book into Amazon, like my book pulls up. <laughs> right. And, and so you were selling that from the very beginning? Like it wasn't a, like a free, you know, like a free PDF for email type thing? I run um, five-day free promotions on of the Kindle version. So my book is part of the KDP Select program. So every quarter, oh, okay. I have the benefit of setting it for free. So that gives me a, a chance to do quarterly promotions of the book, give it away for free. And then the rest of the time, it is paid. Yeah. And right. then inside the book is a lead magnet. So that in the first, like, I think the first 10% of the book, somewhere in that look inside range is, a, is you can get the free audio book. And um, I had just someone from Upwork record that. Turned out great. Um, so they can get the free audio book and that puts them on my email list. Right. Very cool. It sounds like a good little funnel and, and lead gen system. Uh, do you have any recommendations for people who might not know where to, like maybe they don't have that meta option of, of just writing a book, but maybe to create some piece of content, some form of, uh, some way to, you know, whether it be email capture or anything like that, like how, how should someone approach their first freebie kind of thing like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually I've created a lot of freebies kind of over the years now. Um, you know, there have been is an evolution of freebies and there was a point in time where we were creating, you know, entire books and putting them online for free um, and using that as a lead magnet. But my sense from the shift in sort of marketing, internet marketing is that people are not getting quick enough wins. They're attracted by the idea of a book, but they don't finish the book or they're not getting a concrete win, a uh, tangible win from the book. And so it's not compelling for them to sort of stay in touch. So mm -hmm. what I've seen um, work, working really well for us now is actually a blueprint or a mind map. So we have a couple of different ones. For instance, um, you know, now we help people publish as well. So that was kind of a, another sort of growth point in our company's history. But just to sort of speak briefly to what's working now, um, we have a, I think it's a four or five page blueprint that just kind of walks through, here's all the things you need to think about when you're approaching this project. So, uh, and the reason I phrase it that way is because I think you could uh, transpose your industry or your service onto that style. So what are all the things that a potential client would need to think about if they were to do the thing that you teach them successfully? And you don't have to answer all the questions, uh, but just, you know, sort of put out in, in like a, a mind map or a somehow visually interesting list, um, all the, all the considerations, all the potential problems, all the, um, you know, opportunities to, to make this thing successful, put it in a giant visual list, call it a blueprint or a mind map or something like that. And those have been extraordinarily popular. And the benefit is that they uh, bring up questions in the mind of the new subscriber. So I found that when I send that to them via email and they say, Hey, do you have any questions about, you know, that blueprint? Well, inevitably I get a reply. And of course the reply mm -hmm. helps with our um, email deliverability. So, um, and then you engage with the new person, you get to help them, you know, figure out how they're going to do this thing successfully. And then they, you know, trust you a little bit more. So that was a long answer. Sorry. No, I, I think it's a great answer. And I, I really agree and, and think the value of something like a, a blueprint is so much greater than a book for, for a few reasons. Number one is when people are getting something for free, they tend to not value it as much. And so you could write, you know, a 60 page awesome free ebook, but if you give it away for free, I would wager that the percentage of people that actually completed it probably isn't that high. 
And especially because, you know, the second reason there's just so much free content out there right now, like you could spend, you could spend years just reading free content from free giveaways. Uh, so where the real value is, is can you put it in something really succinct and quick, like a four page blueprint that uh, can allow the user to go through it that much easier. So, so I totally agree. Morgan, I'm really interested to know how you went from those first three contractors to your team right now, which I think you mentioned is around 18. Can you fill in a little bit of the gap in between there? Was this explosive growth? Was it, uh, you know, how did you kind of uh, evolve over time, adjust to dealing with more contractors as well? Because I would imagine, you know, you had to do a lot of learning around managing and, and leading other contractors, especially if they're not full-time, maybe they have other commitments. So really interested to hear how that experience was. Yeah, absolutely. So I will admit as a quick start, everything feels slower to me than I would prefer. <laughs> <laughs> so I am constantly sort of like trying to get to the next step as soon as possible. So to me, uh, there's a part of me that's always like, oh, this is happening so slowly. But then there's mm -hmm. another part of me that's like, hold on, pause, reflect, look back. A lot has been happening. Uh, so yeah, started off with the editors. I started bringing them on really in like sort of 2000 probably 2013, 14, 15, we were sort of slowly kind of getting ourselves together. I was bringing in projects. It was not a, I will say, especially in those kind of early years, I was not the breadwinner in my family, right? So I am, I am married. My husband is an attorney. He loves his nine to five. Uh, he was very willing to help me sort of like bootstrap, get this thing going, you know, I stayed home and, and sort of focused on this stuff. Uh, but it was not, mm -hmm. it was not like I needed to have immediate full capacity filled. So I was fine with kind of a slow growth, especially in those um, kind of early years. And we were bringing on projects. And then as we brought on more projects, um, I realized I was spending a lot of time doing the sales, like the sales calls, and I needed help on the marketing side. So I needed someone to help with posting blogs, uh, putting blogs onto social media, helping me to respond to email, things like that. So I brought on a VA and that VA has, is still with us. And she has actually kind of grown up with us. So every time that we've hit a new kind of growth phase, I've just promoted her basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so now she's actually our VP of production. And so we oh, had, wow. so Victoria started as our VA, just helping with kind of the basic operations of, of the business. And then I also brought on a finances person to help with she started off as bookkeeping. She has also grown in her role to where now we actually do cash flow projections and things like that. But she started very early on just kind of doing the, the books. And then we brought on, as we, just, as we helped people to edit the books, they were like, oh, this is great. Help us to publish the books. Like, how do I do self-publishing? This was around the time that I was finishing up my own book launch. And so I thought, well, it wasn't that hard to get a cover design and interior design. Mm -hmm. We could put this together. <laughs> so I hired some people. Um, one of the folks from, you know, 99designs.com, which is the platform we still use for cover designs. So I was like, hey, can you do covers and help us with covers and help us with interiors? And, you know, just kind of slowly started piecing together a um, little bit here and there. So we probably have added maybe roughly two to three contractors a year right. since 2013, right? So that's like 
six years, roughly two to three a year. And we're not growing super, I wouldn't say we're growing super fast. I mean, I guess other people might, um, but we are just slowly but surely kind of expanding what we offer to our folks. And we want, we systematize everything as we go. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, as we, each project now has three editors and a cover designer, a graphic designer, a social media scheduler, a, a publicist, right? These are people who they're brought on for that particular project. Maybe they're doing more than one project at a time, but they're paid for that particular project. And so the only time I pay out is after I know that we've secured a client. So we secure mm -hmm. the client, we get the deposit. I say, great guys, let's put this project together. And here's what everyone's going to get paid for this project. And everyone's very cool with that because they know that like they're getting a good market rate and um, they're eventually going to get paid. <laughs> right. So they, right. They, everyone feels pretty comfortable with the system at this point. And probably a, one of our biggest moves was when we brought on a book project manager. And this was the point in the system where the point in the business where we took everything that was in my brain and put it on paper. We actually, I'm not even paper, we're digital, right? <laughs> but we put it into um, Google Drive. We uh, created wiki processes, like we have a Google wiki um, mm -hmm. that links everything up and we created training videos. So that was a huge part of Victoria's change in role, right? So she started out as my VA and then I was like, Victoria, we need to systematize like what's in my brain. So she helps me still to this day does um, pull out processes, put them into written form, video form, and then helps to train the next person. So after mm -hmm. we got most of the essential stuff out of my brain and Victoria understood the whole process, she was able to bring in our book project manager and train her. And so what's happened now is that I can bring in a client uh, who's going to publish a book with us or maybe edit and publish a book with us. And I can say, oh, okay, you know, book project manager, Karen, um, here's, here's the process. Here's what we're going to do with this client. And she takes it from there, fully onboards them, brings them into base camp, gets the whole team and the calendar and everything else set up. So th that was a huge, huge turning point for us. And that has helped us to stay more organized and to uh, continue growing the team. Because if I'm not stuck managing the projects, then I can actually go out and um, do more sales. And in fact, we're training an internal team member to help me do sales. So I think that's really where our growth is going to come from is getting me out of the project management day to day so that myself and maybe one other person on the team can go out and just get more sales, right? To really grow. Absolutely. I mean, that, that sounds like the dictionary definition of, of how a service-based company should be growing. I, I think because of the prevalence of tech companies within the last 10 years, everyone's kind of obsessed with, you know, this exponential crazy type of growth, but for service businesses like yours and mine, I think that's really the best way to do it, right? Because if you, if you did have explosive gro growth for whatever reason, you wouldn't have the time or, or energy to set up those, those systems and, and you'd be playing catch up and, and trying to service these clients and, you know, in God knows what way, as opposed to if you can manage the growth, uh, you're probably sleeping okay at night. I won't speak for you, but I, I would assume with that level of growth and, and everything slowly being systematized, you know, it's, it's much easier to manage and kind of, uh, keep everything, you know, under control and, and you feel in control of the company, you're really managing the company. You know, it's not running your life anymore is what it sounds like. How did you, 
decide to do all that? Or, or how did you learn those principles? Because the, your approach towards this business sounds, sounds great. Uh, so I'm curious, like, <laughs> were, there, were, there, were there books you were relying on? I mean, I recently read a book called Built to Sell, Mm. And you're pretty much practicing every principle that it is preached. Uh, so I'm curious to know, like, what, you know, did you use, were you reading books? Were you listening to people? Did you have a coach or anything like that to help you along the way? Uh, yes, to all of the above. <laughs> but yeah. you, I mean, you know how it is, Josh. This is how we, yeah. this is how we operate. Like, we are so curious. I'm sure you and I are kind of doing the same things. Like, we're reading lots of books. We're listening to lots of podcasts. We're experimenting. We're, you know, trying all these things. Um, perhaps the only advantage that I have, maybe over you, is that I've had children. <laughs> right. Every single time that I've had a baby, the business has had to change. There was an external circumstance that forced me to make really hard decisions that had to happen in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, yes, I was reading. I, I mean, reading everything from, you know, E-Myth Revisited, some of those classics. Um, I right. Podcasts like a fiend. Um, you know, I listen to audiobooks now, um, especially as we have more children. There's less reading, more listening. Right. <laughs> um, I, I have coaches. I've invested in many, many programs. Um, currently, the, the mentor that I've worked with um, for the last couple of years, who's monumentally changed my business, has been Ryan Levesque of the Ask Method company. So I'm in his mm. coaching and mentorship. He has really made it possible for our our company to grow uh, massively in the last couple of years. But um, I still, every time I think about, well, how did I make these decisions? It really came down to having had kids. And so particularly um, baby number three was around the same time that I hit my own personal ceiling with, um, with freelancing. And right. I just, I, I couldn't manage all the small ones <laughs> and all the editing and all the clients and all of that. Um, so that was when, that was the turning point at which I started to bring on team. And once I saw that I could do the sales and the team could do the deliverable, uh, I was like, ah, ha, ha. okay, I figured something out. Um, but then as my baby number three got older, I went back into that trap of doing too much of the work myself, right? And so I was too deep in the project management. I didn't need to be, but I, I couldn't see that until I had baby number four. <laughs> and yeah. by far, one of the biggest turning points I've ever had in my business was January 5th, <laughs> 2017, mm -hmm. because she was born January 4th, brought her home from the hospital the next day because baby number four, we don't need the hospital. <laughs> I just want to go mm -hmm. home. Um, but I'm sitting on my bed with my brand new fourth baby. I'm on the phone with Amazon because an yeah. author's book has launched and it's not showing up on amazon.com. It's on amazon.it and <laughs> I in and all, you know, all of the dot EU, but it's mm -hmm. not on amazon.com. So I've got an author who's freaking out saying someone fix this. And I realize I'm the only person who can fix this. And so I'm on the phone with Amazon holding my new baby. And I'm just like, mm -mm, mm -hmm. this is not what I meant to do. So it's one of those external moments that would just force me to say, what, how am I going to respond to this? This was not the business that I meant to build. Um, and so the next day, <laughs> maybe two days later, I don't know, time warp. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was on the phone with Victoria and I was like, this has got to change. I need someone else to replace me in this way. And you know, that I, the, the constraints of, have always been there. I've never wanted to work. I've never been able to work 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the primary parent, <laughs> right? Um, right? 
not my husband's an amazing parent, but he works outside the home. You know, I'm the one who works in the home. Uh, so yeah, my schedule is constrained by school hours and, you know, activities and taking care of kids and managing the house and all of that. So that means that in order for any part of my life to work, systems must be in place. So yeah, I guess that would be my, uh, my main advantage is having children. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you heard it here first. The key to an efficient company is have many, many children. That's right. Uh, so Morgan, that, that's, that's really interesting and, and cool to hear. How, like, I think the biggest problem that I've had, even with hiring a VA or, or a contractor is, you know, going back to the baby or, or, or using babies as a kind of expression, like your, like your business is your baby, right? In, in a slightly different way, but related way. Mm -hmm. um, how do you handle the, for me, it's a, it's a, not necessarily a trust, but it is kind of a trust thing, right? When you're bringing in somebody new and you're handing over part of your baby to them and, and trusting part of your baby to them, how do you deal with that? Or how do you what's your hiring process look like so that you can be comfortable with who you're bringing onto the team, whether it be a contractor or, or a VA or anybody like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't follow an elaborate uh, hiring process. I do rely heavily on my gut. Um, it's you know usually a job description, a very detailed job description, um, and getting on the phone with the person and trying them out for you know a project. And if it's not working out, I don't mind just saying, hey, it's not working out. Um, so right. that's that's part of it. It's kind of like the Gary Vaynerchuk style of hiring. It's like you just hire anybody, and then if they don't work out, just fire them. Right. <laughs> I don't quite do that, but um, you know I do rely quite heavily on my gut instinct, and I know that my team's gonna mess it up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, heck, I mess things up all the time in my business. I send emails out with a typo in the subject line or, you know, I forget to tell a client about this thing or the other or I upload the wrong file. So I, I am fully aware that I mess things up and I really practice heavy forgiveness. <laughs> mm -hmm. Lots and lots of forgiveness and acknowledging it's okay. We're not going to get it perfect every time. Let's just learn our lesson, document it, right. <laughs> train other people on it and move forward. And I think that's just part of um, really letting go and just acknowledging that anyone you bring into the business is going to do it quote unquote wrong for a while. And they'll have to do it quote unquote wrong um, so that you can let them know what your preferences are. Well, let them know how you'd like to do it next time. And I mean, gosh, we're all just a bunch of humans trying to work together. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, your VA is going to answer an email the wrong way and piss somebody off or, you know, the, the like there's always going to be ruffled feathers, things kind of going wrong, um, you know, and, and that's just part of running, I think, particularly an agency where you're working with people, but really anything, gosh, we sell products and people want refunds or something didn't work or they can't log in or whatever, whatever. There's always problems and our team might not handle them exactly the way that we would. And I think we just kind of let that go to be like, yeah, well, it's going to happen. Let's do our best to, uh, you know, make it up to you and recover and train better for next time. But mm -hmm. it's all it is, is a series of whoops, let's not do that the same way again. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, no, that, that's a great approach. So, so Morgan, Let's get to books. I mean, I've been I've been so interested in in your story and how you got to where you are and the, the management of your company. But we obviously have to do some discussion around 
around this uh, expertise of yours, what would you say is kind of the state of the union with regards to publishing a book these days? And if you can talk, I guess, more specifically to solopreneurs, you know, uh, individuals, maybe they're trying to build their own brand or, or become a coach or, you know, or, or even just what types of people are you seeing that come to you uh, to, to write a book these days? Yeah. Gosh, the publishing industry has completely, it's begun to transform in, in a very uh, new and exciting way. I think that a lot of us assume that, well, books have been around forever. So, you know, there's not a lot changing there. Um, but what's happening is fairly subtle, but I think going to have dramatic impact over the next 10, 20 years. Um, so we are used to books being published by traditional publishers. And in that case, the writer basically just sells their content to the publisher and the publisher partners with the printer and the distributor and the retailer, i.e. like Barnes and Noble, um, to sell the book. And so those, those companies basically share about 90% of the retail value of the book and the author Jeez. gets about 10%. And so there's been sort of a, I guess a cultural, we've, developed this like cultural understanding that like, oh, well, I, as the writer, I just hand my book over, everyone else takes care of it. And then I, you know, get to live off the royalties. <laughs> of mm -hmm. course, if you've ever talked to a best-selling author, you'll know that they work their asses off to get their books, you know, out into the world. They do, they've always done, um, you know, lots of book signings and tours and speaking and writing back to, you know, fans and readers and, and mm -hmm. all of that. Um, but what we're seeing now is that because readers are not walking into a Barnes and Noble to buy books anymore. That whole chain is coming undone, right? So right. Uh, if they aren't buying from the bookstore, then they're not printing as many copies. The distributor is not getting paid to sell the printed copies to the bookstore and the publisher is not getting paid nearly as much because they're just not selling as many copies. And so the author is not getting as paid as much either. So it's like, well, shoot, mm -hmm. <laughs> we didn't realize how much of the system we're lost on physical brick and mortar retail. Of course, Amazon has completely disrupted this chain. Ironically, Amazon is now rolling out physical stores. So that's mm -hmm. fascinating. <laughs> but what is made possible is that the author can work directly with the retailer. So then it's just the author and the retailer who are splitting the profits. When you are an author who works with Amazon, for instance, uh, in an ebook, you are getting 70% of the retail price, assuming that it's priced between, I think, $2.99 and $9.99, whatever. Mm -hmm. And on the print book, um, you know, you have to pay for the cost of printing, but usually the author is getting somewhere in the 30 to 50% of the retail price kind of range. So that means the author is suddenly getting a lot more money and it puts the author in a slightly awkward position. That's like, well, I can sell my book directly to the retailer, but how do I get it? How do I write it? How do I get it edited? What's a good cover design? So they're trying to fill in those gaps. Um, so we're seeing a lot of freelancing happening. Um, a lot of the traditional companies can no longer have their folks as employees. So they are now freelancers. So tons of people who, you know, their careers were in traditional publishing are now freelance editors, freelance cover designers, freelance formatters, and which is great. You, know, you can get top-notch talent on the marketplace these days. But what it means for you as the author is that you are kind of project managing this. You're finding your editor, you're finding a cover designer, you're finding a formatter, you're figuring mm -hmm. out how to upload files um, so that you can sell directly to, to Amazon. I predict that 
I mean, Amazon has changed the game. We are, we are now trained to look for an Amazon sales page, to look for the number of reviews and to look for where this book is positioned, uh, you know, numerically in their category. You know, are they number one mm-hmm. in a category? Are they number 1 million in a category? Like that matters to us now. And, um, yeah, we really have to pay attention to that as authors, but it makes it possible for us if we are we are willing to put in some extra work on cover design, categories, keywords, playing the game with Amazon. It means that our books can be discovered in a totally new way. We don't have to hope that someone's going to walk into a Barnes and Noble and see our book on a shelf. Instead, we have much more agency being able to partner directly with Amazon, get our books on the Amazon and find ways in which to kind of game the Amazon algorithm so that our books are found more easily. And when someone reads our book, they are much more likely to know, like, and trust us and want to work deeper with us. Right. Very, very interesting. And from the financial side, how, how is that? Obviously, the percentages in how much the author is keeping per sale is, is much higher. How, does, how do the finances look or how does, how does the volume look for people who go this route as opposed to the traditional route? Like, are, are there people who are making full-time livings, just, just writing books and, and going right through Amazon or, or working with a company like yours? Yeah. So there are kind of two paths that we see a lot of people take. One is the author who writes a lot of books, maybe four or five, six, seven books and um, releases them kind of over time. And you see an accumulation effect. So people who mm-hmm. find your first book will then, you know, a certain percentage of them will buy your second and third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all that. Um, and often, even if they discover a later book, they might go back and reread. So when you have an accumulation of multiple books, multiple sort of revenue streams, um, you do see people being able to make five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month on on book sales. I mm-hmm. would say that's not as common, to be really honest. Um, what we see a little bit more commonly is the author who has one or two foundational books. And honestly, that's me, right? I mean, I have one small, (laughs) I really want to emphasize small. It's like (laughs) 25,000 words. It is not the best ultimate book on how to write a book that's ever been released, (laughs) but it works. (laughs) You know, it gives, it gives people a taste of my methodology, what makes you know, my approach to writing a book different and people call me, they email me, they want to work with me, you know, it works. So we see authors who are putting out one or two books. This is mostly our authors. They are experts in something, nutrition, therapy, fitness, um, counseling, uh, marketing, manufacturing, you know, various sorts of expertises. They put out, you know, their first book and we launch it, we'll launch it well. And yeah, the book sales are not monumental. Maybe they're like, 500 to a thousand a month or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But what they're getting is clients on the back end or speaking engagements, or they're able to build up, you know, a mastermind or an online community, like a membership program, something like that. And most of their revenue is actually made on the back end of their book. And so we see many of our authors building six figure, multiple six figure. I would, I don't know that anyone's broken a seven-figure business just from working with us in the last year to, or two or three, you know, to write a book, but um, certainly sustainable, profitable businesses and using that book as the entry point for, for their clients. Right. And what would you say is a good position to, like, what are the minimum requirements, let's call it, where you think it's a good situation for someone to write a book? 
Yeah. So that's another good question. Uh, again, I'm, I hate to be the, the person who's like, oh, well, it depends, but it does yeah. kind of depend. <laughs> yeah. So I see two common situations. Um, one is the person who is pivoting in some way um, into something new and they need the book to kind of be the foundation for the new thing. Um, again, to use myself as an example, that's what I was doing, right? I was creating mm -hmm paper raven books i needed a book to let people know we were helping people write books mm -hmm. <laughs> so i wrote a book and and that was the beginning my email list was like less than a hundred people and that was just like folks who i just like scraped my gmail account to figure out how to put them into an email list you know right so when i launched that book it was less than a hundred people we've grown since then i think we're like I, not that numbers matter, but like over 30,000 people on the email list, right? So wow. like in comparison, like it was, uh, I started at the very beginning with a brand new email list with that book. But some of our authors come in with email lists. They might already have, you know, five, 10,000 people on the email list, which is pretty big for a first mm -hmm. book. You know, that means you've already been doing some pretty heavy duty marketing. The benefit for them is their book skyrockets. You know, we're able to do really cool things with launching, getting them onto a podcast tour, you know, uh, getting, getting people to share on social media. We're able to do some really amazing things with that first book. Um, and it really sets them up just for that really next level of growth. So a lot of, like one of our clients, his book hasn't even launched yet, but he's already doubled his consulting fee <laughs> because wow. he found out he was writing a book and they already knew he was in demand. They're like, oh gosh, you know, once his book comes out, it's going to be even more. So he just went ahead and doubled his prices. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> right. Very, very interesting. Great. Well, Morgan, I mean, like I could ask you questions for hours here, but let, let's, uh, let's bring this one to an end with one or two more questions. And then we might need a round two one day, but what would you say to solopreneurs out there that are maybe haven't even got started yet or are just in the thick of things getting started going through the grind what kind of general business or, or personal pieces of advice would you give to them well, I think we hit on one earlier and I would like to just sort of underscore it is sales, you know, and sales is not scary. It's just finding people to reach out to and offering them, offering to help them with your sort of the outcome that you can help them with. So, you know, in my case, it was reaching out to people and saying, Hey, can I help you write a book? <laughs> you know, but other people might be like, Hey, can I help you run Facebook ads? And it's, I can't, I cannot underestimate how much I personally transformed in just having those phone conversations, um, not having all the sales go through email, but really getting on the phone with people and talking to them. And I mean, heck, taking a payment on a phone call, you know, like mm -hmm. that has even been a recent thing for me where, you know, I'll have you know, my Sam cart checkout processor open and I'll say, okay, great. If you're ready to get started, you know, let's, let's do this, you know, Visa or MasterCard right. <laughs> and, and not being afraid to, to have the phone conversation you know, talking with someone who has the, who wants the thing that you are offering and asking them to commit and, and make that, um, that payment, you know, cause the, I mm -hmm. think it's James Wedmore says the transformations in the transaction, right? So yeah. both of you transform in that sales conversation. So don't shy away from it because you'll learn so, so much. Um, that's really what I would, I would tell myself if I could kind of go back. Right. That's a, that's a great point to finish on. Morgan, where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to learn how to write a book or, or just get in touch? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you want more about books and publishing, you can find us at paperravenbooks.com. We are most ap- active on Facebook as well. So we're Paper Raven Books on Facebook. Um, and also Josh, you and I were talking prior to hitting record about we have a, a shared uh, you know, desire to really um, tell people or let people know what's going on behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. so I have a secret podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much don't secret tell no longer. Yeah. <laughs> anyone about it ever because it is, it is, it's called voice memos from a young founder. And it is truly just me turning on my, my essentially voice memo app and um, just recording what's going on. If I just made a big decision, what that decision oh, was, wow. how I made it. Um, when something goes bad, I, <laughs> I talk about how it did not go well and what I learned. I mean, I don't ever like out anyone like on my team or any clients or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's really just what is happening day to day when you're trying to grow this big vision and you've got all of these, you know, um, what offers am I making? How am I doing my marketing? How am I growing the team? Like all of that stuff. Um, I just record it and I put it out on the internet as a podcast. So if you want to check it out, if this has been relatively insightful and you want more of my musings and ponderings and how I'm doing this thing called growing a business, it's a voice memos from a young founder. Right. Why has that been so secret until now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. It's, it's, I guess it's really the beginning of my personal brand to be perfectly honest. Um, Most of what I put out is paper raven books. You know, it's how to write a book, how to publish a book, how to market your book. Um, but when I'm talking about how to make decisions as an entrepreneur, it's not mm-hmm. really a paper raven books thing, you know? Um, right. So I, I really, the only places I've talked about it have been like my personal Instagram or my personal Facebook. And so a few of my, I, I know there, there are, you know, a, a few dozen people who follow and they reach out to me and they text me after an episode and that kind of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's the beginning of my personal brand and I'm just not, I don't, I don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> right. Well, Morgan, I'm, I'm honored that you shared that uh, little secret with us here on, on air today. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally on board with that type of content. I, I do the, the SG daily where it's, it's very similar. It. And, and uh, I, I really uh, think that that type of content is awesome. So I'm, I'm going to have to check yours out as well. But Morgan, thanks so much for coming on the air, sharing all this inf- insightful information, sharing your secrets, uh, business and, and personal. And uh, once again, just thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Josh. It's been really fun. Hey, everyone. Josh here checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content, such as what's going on in the background of my Solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.